much love. Life is a mystery. Everyone must stand alone. I hear you call my name, and it feels like home. It's episode 20 of Ravage Love Season 3. Hi, Julie. Hello, Renee. How are you? I am so good, Julie, because this is our Golden Jubilee episode, baby girl. What? It's our 50th official episode that doesn't include our after hours. Oh my God. It's today. It's today. So happy Jubilee. Happy Jubilee, you fucking queen. Isn't that exciting? That is very exciting. I'm very proud of us. And I'm very, very, very grateful for our listeners who are extremely loyal um, and who are just so fun and make this an incredible experience. So thank you, people who listen to us and love us. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad that... um, yeah, I had no idea this is our Golden, Golden Jubilee episode, and it's so perfect because I have been so excited about this episode for a very long time, and I, I just think it's the perfect 50th episode. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah. I actually didn't realize it was going to be our 50th, but I had a countdown in my calendar, and I just peeked at it before we started, and I was like, holy shit. So, oh, I love it. Um, yeah. So what is our theme this week, Renee? YA from our YA. So that's young adult stories from our young adulthood. Yes. And I am so excited because (laughs) I shared with Renee this particular book that was given to me by my grandmother and it became a scandal in my family. And I was telling Renee about that. And as I was telling Renee that, when I was done telling my story, she's like, wow, that's wild. Also, I just found it online and I'm sending it to you (laughs) with the original cover that I had. So there's a few covers um, available for this book because it was a bestseller and there were several editions. Um, But the edition that I have in my hands as we speak that I read physical copy is the exact same edition that I had growing up. So it truly was (laughs) taken me back. So I'm just going to launch into it, Renee. Oh, I'm ready. I have, I really don't know what this is about, except that I think there's an ice cream on the cover. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, girl. That's that's how I found it. <laughs> it was just like ice cream. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here's the story. Okay. My cousin and I are a month apart or like a little less than two months apart. So we were very, very tight growing up. Her and I were extremely close. And so we like came of age, AKA got our periods around the (laughs) same time. And so for whatever reason, this like set off something in my Nana's head that (laughs) it was time for us to get these books. So I was given this book. I don't even know if it was like for a special occasion. It might've just been given to me by my Nana and my cousin got it as well. And I read very few of like a few of the pages and then the book went missing and my parents took it away from me (laughs) and I it was the first time and I mean I've talked about this several times on the book or on the podcast but uh I you know French is my first language I perfected my English reading goosebumps I read (laughs) uh Timothy Finley's not wanted on the voyage when I was in elementary school which is like a very dark (laughs) book yes I read 
Like my parents never censored anything that I read, truthfully. So I, it, of course, you censor something to a child, then it becomes, you know, it's like catnip. So mm-hmm. I ended up reading it all in secret at my cousin's house because she was very much allowed to read it. So what's funny is in rereading it, I still have no idea why my parents took it away from me. And I'm <laughs> going to send them this episode and then see what they think. But the book is called Just Like Ice Cream by Lisa Ooh. Halls Johnson. And again, I'm going to pitch folks following us on socials because we put the covers there. So you'll see the extremely 80s-tastic cover. So Just Like Ice Cream is written by Lisa Halls Johnson. Lisa with two S's if you're looking her up. She's still a writer, so she's been reading for, uh, sorry, writing for over 30 years and now works as an editor, a speaker, and a writer. And when you go to her website and you see the kinds of conferences that she speaks at, the kinds of books that she writes and edits, they are heavy on the Jesus. So much Jesus. So this book in particular was published in January 84, but a second edition came out in 95. And I think I got it around 95, 96, 97. So I think that might've been how it came into my Nana's world is it was, um, you know, a second edition came out. Now, what's funny is every time I read a book for this podcast or not, I go on and I check out it all on Goodreads. I'm not on Goodreads as like a user necessarily, like on a personal level. I don't have like my own books that I read on there, but I'm always so interested to hear what other folks think. What is so funny about this book and the Goodreads reviews is it is a half and half mix of people who are legit Bible thumpers who think this is a beautiful book. Every young woman should have to read it. And then the other half who still could be super religious, um, but are like, my parents made me read this book because they thought it sent a message and it did. But also it was masturbatory material because it was (laughs) spicy, it was explicit. And I remember when I read it being like, ooh, ooh, what is this? But even then, and I was actually quite proud of myself when I reread it because I remember reading it when I was young being like, this Jesus stuff is fucking bullshit so and i went to catholic school like and i still was just like okay fuck that let's just talk about these hot people getting bought getting down so let me tell you you want to know the other thing that makes this book so hilarious in my personal life journey is the protagonist's name is julie (laughs) oh no okay okay julie marshall makes bad choices Okay. okay so Julie Marshall's just chilling at the park and contemplating her life and contemplating her friendship with her best friend, Stephanie, who is a smoke show and guys really like her. And Julie is kind of plain. She's not ugly, but she's very plain. Um, And she never gets the same attention from boys. And she's just sort of thinking about that. And all of a sudden she's catcalled by this smoking hot guy named Kyle, who I (laughs) very quickly remembered when I started reading the book calls her sweet babe almost exclusively and it made me think as an adult rereading it it made me think of did you watch Boz Lorman's Great Gatsby yeah okay and you know how Leonardo DiCaprio says sport like 800 fucking times in that movie <laughs> yes <laughs> picture that but sweet babe by a man named Kyle Browning um who's super hot, very charming, very confident. 
and he's catcalled by her. And because she's like, oh, a boy's paying attention to me. He's like, come back to the park tomorrow. Let's hang out. And she's like, okay. She, um, that night, goes to babysit for her friend Jan and her husband Rick. And they are very religious. And Julie is eye-rolly about the Jesus stuff. Her family isn't super religious. She doesn't think about religion. And she's like, ugh, Jan and Rick are nice and their kid is cute and I love babysitting for them. They're nice to me, but like, enough with the Jesus. So already I'm like, okay. So anyways, she shows up the next day thinking he's not going to show and he does. And they have a bit of a date and it's very chaste. It's very like sweet. So she's like, oh, I really like him. And we talked and we ate ice cream. And, and then she one time like a couple days later or a couple weeks later whatever invites him to visit um while she's babysitting for jan and rick and he which i remember you know when you're a babysitter if the babies if the parents let you invite a friend over it was like whoo so anyways pretty chaste but he gives her this cassette tape of this romance song that he um he's like this is going to be our song so they start to date and she becomes a total bros before hoes in that she's ditching her friend Stephanie and it's like Kyle, Kyle, Kyle all the time. And basically Kyle, now as an adult, I know, Kyle spends three weeks just absolutely love bombing her and then really starts pressuring her to have sex. And she doesn't say that Jesus is why she doesn't want to, but she's sort of like, no, I think it needs to be special. And you know, I was told to keep it for marriage. And he's like, you know, it's great. It's blah, blah, blah. So they have sex and she's disappointed and is like, this is, this is the thing. So then they just start fucking all the time and she's not into it, but she doesn't want to lose Kyle. And then she becomes really sullen and withdrawn and everyone around her notices that it's like all Kyle all the time. She never wants to do anything else. And then she ends up confiding in Jesus Jan that she's curious about sex. And Jan mm-hmm. says, oh, it's sacred. You know, it's it's only for marriage. And then Julie's like pretending, you know, like when young women, which I've 100% done, been like, my friend has this question. So she's basically doing that to Jesus Jan because Jan's a little bit older than her, but it's not her mom. So she kind of trusts her. And Jan's like, no, sex is sacred. And, da, 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 da. and it's like this whole thing. So then she tries to break up with Kyle and says like, I don't like having sex. And he's like, oh, what? And then he's like, okay, okay, okay don't you know don't leave me don't leave me what if we take a break for like a week and she's like great so they do and she's like oh we went back to like going to the park and going swimming and doing things but then after a week it was back to fucking (laughs) and then it's the end of the summer and she realizes kyle just summers in my community he goes back (gasps) to the big city for the school year and she's devastated and he's like i'll call you sweet babe i'll call you and then oh she goes to start school and she's exhausted, Renee. Like, she's, like, oh no. real exhausted. And then she's real nauseous. And then at one point, she's taking a second helping of her food and her mom fat shames her. And oh. then she discovers, oh, my God, maybe I'm prego. <gasps> so she goes to a clinic. She's too afraid to buy a pregnancy test at the store. So she goes to the clinic and like a family planning clinic and they're like yeah girl and they're like so do you want to have an abortion she's like i guess so she tells kyle who's instantly a piece of shit and then kind of softens up and is like okay so you're gonna get an abortion and she's like 
I don't know how I feel about it. There was this girl at my school named Charlene and she had an abortion and I stopped talking to her because I was like, how could you do that to someone? So then he's like, no, you have to come on. Like we can't do this, blah, blah, blah. So then she goes back to Jesus Jan, ends up disclosing to Jesus Jan that she's pregnant and Jesus Jan doesn't say don't have an abortion. She just says, I'm going to pray for you. Do you know, do what you think is best. Then she tells her mom who immediately freaks out. And the next morning is like, I just didn't know what to say, but I support whatever you want to do. And then she's like, well, I'm thinking having an abortion. And her mom says, I don't support that. <laughs> um, and you're like, then do you support me? Uh, but she's like, you know, I don't, I don't approve of your decision, but it's your decision to make. So this is the part that surprised me. That truly surprised me, Renee, based okay. on everything else going on in this book. I thought we were going to have almost like Juno, that scene where she goes to the abortion clinic, but like a thousand times worse. Like I was really expecting that they, people were going to be rude or they were going to just be like overtly sexual or some, some kind of like horrible caricature of what people think abortion providers are like. Yeah. And I was very pleasantly surprised when I reread it to, that it was not the case at all. In fact, her mom drops her off at the clinic because it's the US, gives her a wad of cash because she has to pay out of pocket. She goes in there. She's like, wow, there's like young people, like young women and older women and young women who look like me. And then she starts judging them and realizes like, oh, I'm here for the same reason. Like, who the fuck am I to be judgy? Mm -hmm. The receptionist, super, super nice. The other people in the clinic, really, really nice to her. Um, and then she goes in to see the doctor and the doctor can tell that she's not really comfortable with her decision. And so the doctor says, look, based on how far along you are, you, you have three more weeks where we could still do this. I don't feel comfortable doing this today because I don't think you're ready. I don't think you're, you're sure in your decision and you need to be sure in your decision because it's your body and it's your life. So here's your money back. Um, here's some information of where you can talk about this with someone um, and have a good rest of your day. And I was oh. so pleasantly surprised by that truthfully, because that really threw me for a loop because I was not expecting that at all. So so that's why she decides not to. It actually comes from a very well-informed place of like, she's not ready. And the providers are like, we know, we can tell. So then she doesn't know what to do next. And then by now she's starting to show. So she has to say something at school and she's being bullied at school. Then she has to call Kyle and say, so I didn't get that abortion. So he breaks up with her Ugh. and is like, you're fucking dead to me. Uh, her friend Stephanie ends up kind of being really weird and aloof to her. And then finally, Julie's like, look, I need a friend right now. Like, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to keep this baby or put the baby up for adoption. I don't know what to do. What's wrong with you? And she's like, look, I didn't want to tell you because I didn't think your relationship was that big of a deal. But like Kyle spent all summer trying to fuck me. And Aww. Like, he does not love you. The second you weren't around, he was hitting on other people. He was, like, wheeling as much as possible. And I feel terrible that I never told you, but I just didn't think your relationship was at that level. So this dude sucks. Like, he never loved you. So you got to move on. Obviously, she's devastated. So she's spending more and more time with Jesus Jan, who's spending more and more time saying, don't worry, I know someone who loves you, who will love you eternally forever. Uh. Is that someone? Jesus. Jesus. So she then refers her to this counselor in town who's a family planning counselor. 
<laughs> Julie loves this, loves meeting with her, um, helps her decide. And then, you know, it's v- clearly very religious, like one of those crisis pregnancy centers. Yeah. But she still does some really, I think, quite smart stuff where like she gets her to, you know, come up with a pros and cons list. She gets her to research like the cost of baby food and clothes and, you know, all of these things. And, you know, how much money do you need to make in order to support yourself and live on your own? And, and meanwhile, she's wrestling with this. She's talking to her mom. Her mom's like, I support whatever you want to do. But if you have the baby, you have to move out. Um, I'm not, you know, if you're going to take that decision, then you need to be a full adult and I can't babysit for you and I can't do this. And so then she's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Um, meanwhile, Jan is really pushing Jesus on her. And now she's like, I accept Jesus into my heart. Um, and she gets a Bible for her birthday and a journal and she starts journaling about her journey. And then Kyle's mom makes him reach out to her because yeah, uh, she's like, she's having a baby and that's going to be my grandchild. So make an effort. So he shows up like literally not even making eye contact with her. And he's like, here's this is a combination birthday present, Christmas present. <laughs> and my mom helped me pick it out. And then the mom's like, good to see you. And she's like, go fuck yourself, basically. Um, and it's a pair of socks. <laughs> what? Uh, so she's like, fuck this guy. He basically was just checking off a box so that he could feel better. Uh, she goes into labor, has a son, can't decide what to do. Very, very, very torn. And then um, her this she decides that okay i'm gonna send the paperwork to kyle if he fights me on this like he fights the idea of of adoption then maybe we can live our dream of being the three of us together and maybe seeing his baby will change his mind um and then kyle immediately writes back with you know signing the waiver that says i rescind my right to this kid this kid doesn't exist as far as i'm concerned so she says okay puts her son up for adoption who of course because it's a white baby um, is adopted right away. White baby, able-bodied <laughs> white baby. Um, yeah. And the book ends on this really depressing note that, yeah, she put her kid up for adoption. And yes, you know, there's a scene where it's, you know, clearly just like describing the beauty and joy of this couple finally getting the baby that, you know, they had been praying for. And then Julie goes back to her house and is listening to the song that their song plays on the radio. And she has this moment where she cries and says, I will never get my innocence back. My life will never be the same. All I can do now is trust in my friend Jesus. The (laughs) end. (laughs) Oh, okay. Julie. Yeah. Um, How would you rate it? So zero out of five on the spice factor as an adult, as a child. Like, as the 12-year-old or whatever that I was when I read it, I probably would have gave it, like, five out of five at the time because okay. there was kissing and there was, you know, oh, we're both naked. And, like, so at the time, I would have been, like, that was, like, bleu nuit, basically, to me. But now <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, oh, gross. Yeah, no, gross. Zero yeah. out of five. Yeah. Wow. This clearly was, like, genital descriptions, clearly. Okay. This was, like, a reverse grease if Rizzo was Sandy. It was like, okay, so obviously it is as terrible as I remembered in many ways and would never, ever recommend this book be put into the hands of a young woman in my entire life or a young man for that, for that matter. But 
Uh, I mean, clearly anti-choice, clearly sex-shamey, like just fucking brutal, like evangelical sort of subtext, not even subtext fucking at the surface. But what I would say that I was pleasantly surprised by is, one, the writing was very strong. Like the fact that this woman works as a writer and an editor, I'm not surprised. The writing was strong. The dialogue was like actually not cheesy for like teenagers in the 80s written by an adult in the 80s. I was expecting some like real fucking cheesy (laughs) shit. Nothing. And as I already mentioned, the fact that the scene at the family planning clinic was so I was very taken aback in a good way I was pleasantly surprised at how respectful and um non-caricature the uh yeah the abortion providers were and that the fact that that she didn't have an abortion was because they themselves could recognize that she wasn't ready um is uh yeah that 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 surprised me I feel like you wouldn't walk away from that being um yeah, I don't think that it would push you to think that abortion is terrible if you were on the fence. I don't yeah. think it would push you to think like, oh my God, these whores. Because like she almost kind of gets shamed for the fact that she shamed another woman. Um, like, yeah. So yeah, that that was that was probably my biggest observation as a 36-year-old woman reading this book, you know, 20 <laughs> plus years later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was Just Like Ice Cream. By Lisa Halls Johnson. And I will, just because it's so funny to me, I'm going to end before I pass it over to you to tell us what you read this week. I just want to read you the uh, endorsements. You know how other authors blurb a book to help sell it? Yeah. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. So just like ice cream is simply astounding. This This must be read by all teens, especially girls. Who said that? Reverend John Codwell from the Church of the Nazarene. (laughs) (laughs) And then, terrific! Exclamation mark. Most kids don't expect an honest portrayal of sexuality in a Christian book, but this is a surprising exception. The sexual aspects are real. Who said that? Ron DeMoller, high school director at Mount Hermon Christian Camp. (laughs) (laughs) And then... The excellent book, exclamation mark, just what we need for today's teens. My family and I enjoyed reading Just Like Ice Cream. Gross. And (laughs) the subject matter is dealt with in honest and frank terms, but always from a teenage perspective. This is not an adult analyzing the situation. It is a teenager in the midst of a struggle. Wow. So that is uh, Just Like Ice Cream by Lisa Halls Johnson. According to some extreme religious folks, (laughs) 10 out of 10. Tell us, Renee, what was your YA adventure this week? Okay. I just, the parallels between your story and my origin story are astounding. A hundred percent, which is why for, for longtime <laughs> listeners of the show, you know, Renee and I kind of surprise each other every week with what we pick for ourselves. But this week I had to give you a heads up. Like not only did you send it to me, but I was like, okay, girl, this is about a teen mom and her journey. Are you going to be Okay. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, Okay. So I read Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews. Now, I want to be clear. When I was a teenager, because we think YA, we think teenagers, um, I wasn't reading this stuff. I was reading Anne Rice. I was reading, I remember I was reading um, Taltos, which is 
spicy, real spicy. And I remember I like marked the page where there's like this really intense sex scene between giants. They're giants. Uh, but my mom found it <laughs> and she burned it. So no! she burned my book and everything else. Um, so for context, I wasn't reading this when I was away, but I don't know if everybody knows this, but your brain doesn't stop developing until you're about 25. So you're still a young adult until you're about 25 years old. And I read this in my early 20s. So it counts. Now, um, I didn't, I didn't, I, I read this. I knew what it was about. Um, but now reading it at 34, a mother of three, um, it was a very different experience. I cried a lot reading what? this book. Oh, I was just sobbing. So um, V.C. Andrews is prolific for a lot of things. V.C. Andrews has 34 books and like multiple series under their name. However, V.C. Andrews, the original author, died in 1986. Oh. So since then, it's been a uh, um, like a ghostwriter named Andrew Niederman. And Andrew Niederman is the ghostwriter for V.C. Andrews, but he's also known for writing uh, The Devil's Advocate. Oh. Yeah. He's written uh, quite a few books under his own name. So um, really neat little story. But he, um, I think he was like a high school lit teacher. And then he just really analyzed her writing style. And so that's why he's been able to just really um, mimic that all this time. So that's the neat thing. The other really neat thing about VC Andrews is that, you know, I collect books based on their covers. I love, you know, I get like the old um, eight, like eighties, early nineties um, horror novels because they have like the best covers in the world. But VC Andrews books are really um, important to that kind of collection or genre because even though like the die cutout covers existed before VC Andrews, it was VC Andrews books that really um, popularized it. So what I mean by that is like a cover where there's like a little window cut into it. When you open the cover, there's like a picture of um, what's kind of going on in the story. Um, and so it's, it's got a really, really neat history. I'm not going to go into it, but um, you can definitely like check it out for yourself online really cool stuff um and i think that's really neat so yeah yeah really cool so flowers in the attic before i go anywhere um is dedicated to vc andrew's mother which is Woo! kind of yeah kind of intense um so the book is about the dolan ganger children and their family now their last name is really weird and we find out why, but um, their neighbors call them the Dresden Dolls, uh, which is also the name of a band. Um, it's a whole thing, but <laughs> one, they have this beautiful family. They're beautiful. All of them, blonde, blue eyed, fair skin, just like a gorgeous, gorgeous family. And they're very happy. They're very, very happy. Their father, um, works in like sales or development or something and he's away a lot but whenever he comes home he's like you know come give me kisses if you love me and they're just like this beautiful loving affectionate family and one day it's dad's birthday it's daddy's birthday and they're all waiting for him and dinner's getting cold and then the police show up and the police show up because he's died in a car crash and there's a whole bit about like the details of the car crash <laughs> it's just like it's like and then you know, the car flipped over seven times and then your father was thrown out of the window, but he didn't die then. And it, like, it just goes on and it's like, holy shit. So 
Now, um, Corrine, who's the mother, um, has to figure out what to do with her four children. Um, it's Christopher's the oldest, Kathy's the middle child, and then twins. Um, who are the twins? Corey and Corrine? Karen? I don't know. Uh, twins. They're beautiful. So at this point, mom is like writing letters, trying to deal with the insurance company, like trying to figure everything out. And finally she gets a letter in the mail and she's like, okay. So she sits down and she tells her children, look, I actually come from a really wealthy background and my parents live in Virginia and they have a huge mansion and we're going to go stay with them. And, you know, my father wrote me out of his will because I did something bad, but I'm going to get him to love me again. He'll write me in. He's going to die any day. He has like heart disease. Um, and then we'll inherit his fortune and we'll be set for life. And they're like, awesome. Okay, great. So they like take off on a train and the mother takes on an assumed name and they're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Um, but they, they go and they listen to her. They love her very much. You know, um, I think the, their ages are like, you know, the twins are like five and, and the older kids are like 12 and, and 13 or 14 or something. So they have to walk really, really far from the train station in the middle of the night and they make it to the house and then they're quickly ushered upstairs to this little room. And they, and there's a woman there who's like dressed all in gray, really spooky looking. And she is their grandmother. They didn't know she existed, but she is, what's the best way to describe her? She's a bit of a cunt. Um, <laughs> she's really, really awful. And so she packs them all away in this room and she's being really, really nasty to her daughter, uh, their mother. And they're kind of like, Oh, this is really weird. So the next day they get up and the grandmother has brought them food and they're like, she's like, you're going to stay in this room today. Um, I'm going to take your mother and we're going to go see what we can do. So later that day, the grandmother comes back and she's bringing the mother, but the mother's just like totally walking weird is sore and everything. And at this point, the grandmother's like, you need to understand that you are the devil's issue and this is what happens to sinners and you have a lot to repent for. And then she's like, daughter, show them your back. And she's been whipped like shoulder to foot. She is covered in welts, bleeding. And the, the grandmother's like, let's get some things straight. There are some rules in this house and you will follow them or this is what's going to happen to you. So the rules are like, you know, you must always be fully dressed when I come in the room. You can't talk to me unless I speak to you first. You always have to be clean. You always have to eat every single thing that I bring you. You're never to leave this room. You know, on Fridays, you have to go upstairs in the attic and hide because maids are going to come. Nobody can hear you. And you must always remain pure. Um, you can't know like the boys and girls can't sleep in the same bed together. They can't be in the bathroom together. You must be pure, pious, never, you know, no impure thoughts, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, like at this point, she's like a religious zealot, right? Mm -hmm. And these are little children. They're like, what does she mean? Like, what does she mean? So they're like, mama, like, why is she like, what's going on? And it turns out that the reason that Corrine was cut out of the will is because she's not actually a darling danger. She is a Foxworth. And the story of the Foxworths is that, her father is very, very wealthy, but her mother comes from like independent wealth. They're both religiously like intense, but her, her grandfather, so her father's father remarried, married a very young woman, 
and had a baby. And that the son grew up. And then one day, um, because the father died, they came to her home and was like, please take us in. And they turned them out into the street, this mother and this little baby um, who would have been like the, the grandfather's stepmom or whatever. Years later, the mother dies and the mean step, the, the mean grandmother in this situation, she feels sorry for this young man. So she takes him in and he's, she's like, you know, he's family. And in fact, his entire, like the fortune of the Foxworths had been left to this little boy, not to the, to the um, mean, like the, the original son, but I know it's super confusing. There's lots of money involved, but what's important here is that he is Kareen's half uncle but they're only two years apart and they fall in love. Oh no. They fall in love oh, and no. they run away together and get married. And this sets the father over the edge. And he's like, one, it's illegal, right? <laughs> two, he's like incest, incest, incest. Like this is a crime against God. You either like break up right now or, you know, you're out of our lives, you're out of our family forever. And they're like, fuck you. We love each other. So they disappear into the night penniless, but they decide they have to change their names. So they take on an assumed um, last name. So she reveals to their kids like, yeah, you know, your dad was my half uncle um, and you are all the product of incest. And that's why your grandmother hates you. But also you look very much like your father. And that really upsets her, too. So just like do whatever she says. You know, I don't want you to get hurt, but you're gonna have to stay in this room for a little while. Um, she's like one or two days at most, but I will come see you every single day. Um, you know, just do what your grandmother says. So she starts coming every single day and she's like, oh my God, my father's going to die any day now, any day now. And then like a week goes on and then a month goes by and they're like, oh, what's going on? So they start to explore the attic. Now there's a, there's a door in this little tiny room that goes up to the attic. The grandmother will never go up there because she's super claustrophobic. And we find out it's because like her parents used to lock her in a closet and you're like, holy shit. Um, so the, the, the attic's scary. It's really gross. Um, but they decide we're going to make the most of this. We don't know how long we're going to be in here. So they ask for craft supplies and they start making paper flowers to make it into a garden because they can't go outside. And that's why it's called flowers in the attic because they're putting. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. So as time goes on, um, you know, they, they're going through this, this, these traumas of like, they, they can't escape the the attic they're they're missing the sunshine they have two little children that are no longer seeing the sun and their mother's starting to come less and less and less um <clears throat> in this time like the twins develop an illness they get really really sick but they're sick for like months and like nobody will give them medicine or take them to the hospital and so then that starts to impact like their hope and their liveliness the brother and the sister who are older are having to play mom and dad to these little children because mama stops showing up. And when she does show up, all she does is bring presents. She just brings so many presents and these children are becoming malnourished. They're becoming gaunt. They're not getting enough vitamins. Like they're just getting sicker and sicker. So as this is going on, the kids are getting older and the older ones are going through puberty. Right. And they're trying to make sense of the world, but they have no role models. And they're just exploring this together while still playing mom and dad. Meanwhile, the grandmother's there like being shitty and like beating them up when they do stuff. Um, and they notice at a certain point that the twins aren't growing anymore. So they're, they're just like tiny, but they're older at the, they stay in the attic for three years. Jesus. 
they're in the attic in that little room for three years. And at a certain point, mother doesn't come anymore. Um, so much happens. And the, it's a story about these, these older kids. It's told by the, the oldest girl, Kathy, it's her story. And, you know, she's very romantic and stuff in her, in how she describes things. And it's just, yeah, I can't, I can't go through the whole story because it's so upsetting, but it's like, these, these little kids never grow and they get sick. And then at a certain point, um, the grandmother comes in while, you know, Kathy's looking at her body cause she's growing and she's changing. But the brother had come downstairs and the grandmother's like, this is sinful. I knew this was going to happen. And they're like, no, you did this on, like, you knew this was going to happen because like, we didn't do anything wrong. And she's like, okay, well you have to cut off all of your blonde hair, your long blonde hair, or you're not going to get any food. By the way, your brother has to cut it off. And then she's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And then one night Kathy's like in bed having bad dreams and she wakes up and she can't move. Julie, she can't move because the grandmother came in in the middle of the night, stuck her with some kind of needle drug, poured tar all over her head. What? Like poured tar all over her oh hair. Oh my God. And they can't get it out. So they have to cut it out. Like it's just like abuse, 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 violence, violence, violence. And like this, these little children are just like, wilting the whole time they're just wilting they're just wilting it's awful um eventually because they wouldn't cut off her hair right away or they did but then the grandmother didn't know she starves them she gives them no food for two weeks and at a certain point the older brother has to like cut his wrists and feed them with his blood so they don't die and like they're about to eat mice and shit and eventually they get food. And then, but this time, you know, they think the grandmother's like apologetic because there's dessert in it and they were never allowed to have dessert before because, you know, cavities, right. They're never allowed to have cookies and stuff. So now there's like these little powdered donuts. They get four powdered donuts in all of their picnic baskets. And they're, they're like, Oh, she feels sorry. She feels bad. Um, now we know like at this point, their mother has remarried. She's married this guy called Bart and, um, she's so in love. She's going off on like honeymoons and vacations and they're just like basically starving to death and like emaciated. And their mother's like, look at my rings and my jewelry. And they're like, you are changing mom. Like <laughs> when are we getting out of here? Is grandfather dead yet? Um, And then the twins are getting sick. Everybody's getting sick. They're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so they're finally like, we need to get the fuck out of here. Like, this is enough. At this point, they're like 17, 15. And the, the little ones are like six or seven, but they are like three feet tall. And so they, yeah, it's just like bananas. So they have this great idea that they're going to steal their mom's key, make an impression of it and whittle a wooden key out. And they do that. They, they're able to fashion a key. And then in the meantime, they're going to her rooms, her room, which is like really lavish and crazy and stealing as much money as they can because they need to build up this pot before they leave. Um, so the mother kind of inadvertently finds out that they had been going to her room and stealing stuff. And they find out later that the mom moved out. She moved out of this big house with her husband. She's gone. And they're like, okay, well, we got to figure something out. Um, but in one of the trips that Kathy took to the room, she runs into her stepfather, who's like asleep on a chair. And because Kathy's this like big romantic, um, she like kisses him on the on the lips and, you know, while he's asleep and, you know, all of this. And then, the you know, he's he's telling this so Christopher goes out later and he hears his mother telling the story and he realizes, oh, my God, Kathy, it was Kathy. Kathy kissed him. And there's been a lot of sexual tension up to this point between the brother and the sister because they're. They're teenagers going through puberty and they're locked in a space. Like, I get, I get why that happened. I get why it happened. 
the Christopher at this point is angry. He's resentful. And he's like, I can't believe you kissed this guy. Like, you will be mine. Blah, blah, blah. So he rapes her. And <gasps> that's not how I remembered it. I did not remember. I thought it was a consensual thing. And the book is very much because it's told from Kathy's perspective. She's like, you know, I could have beaten you because he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like He's so upset. He's so upset at himself. He hates himself. But she's like, you know, I could have I could have beaten you up. I could have kicked you in the balls, you know, but I wanted it to happen. And you get the sense from everything that she's saying up to that point that she did want it to happen. But, you know, it it's still not OK. And they didn't use any protection, Julie. And I know from having read the other books that she does get pregnant and she does have a creepy baby that doesn't survive. Um, oh little, in, little incest baby. Um, so they they have sex and she's just like at this point everyone's innocence is gone but the, the twins are super sick and they have they they're calling the grandmother and they're like you have like the little boy is like on his deathbed they're like you have to get him to the hospital you have to do this she calls in the mother and like their mother and they're like yeah we have to get him to the hospital the mother returns the next day and she's like we couldn't save him he had pneumonia he died and you're like what the fuck yeah. and so it turns out when they finally escape they learn the truth and the truth was that the powdered donuts had poison on them. They were poison. Somebody was poisoning rats and they thought for sure it was the grandmother. It was not. It was their mother. Their <gasps> mother was poisoning them. And the grandmother, like, she knew about it, but she didn't stop it. It's a whole thing. This book is just trauma, trauma, trauma. It's so upsetting. It's so sad. But they get away after three years. They escape with one less, the little boy twin who died. And I know based on like what I've read in the other books, it's just like generations of trauma lead them to this point. There's like a prequel book. There's like a double prequel book. Like it's, it's a lot of stuff. It's so fucking heavy, but it's so beautifully written. Oh my God. And it's just like, I, I could go on about this book for a really long time, but I'm not going to do that. Cause like, if you haven't read it, go read it. There's also two made for TV movies <laughs> from different generations. So you can watch one from the eighties or one from a couple years ago. I haven't seen the one from a few years ago, but maybe check it out. See how you feel about it. Um, yeah. You know what? I'm going to, for spiciness, zero out of zero powdered donuts. Um, <laughs> but it, it was a beautiful book. And I was so moved by the writing. I was so moved by like the experience of these children, you know, trying to grow and, and play these roles that they were kind of thrown into. And, you know, trying to understand their sexuality, even though they have nobody to guide them and being curious and, you know, it, they're, they're learning everything that they know from like all of the books in the attic and they do everything they can to support their mother by making this horrible situation livable for themselves and tolerable. And, uh, it's just so, Oh my God, it's so sad. I <laughs> didn't even remember most of the bad things in it. Like, yeah. Oh my God. It's so heavy, but it was so beautiful. Like I couldn't put it down and it's really long. Like it's a really long book. Actually. It's like nearly 400 pages. It's over 400 pages. Jesus. And then there's um, four more books after it. And v the VC Andrews wrote that entire collection. Um, and then um, the ghostwriter, he wrote an addition to that later um, in the two thousands, but really good. You know what? I would I would let my children read it. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, I would let them read it because, um, yeah, rape like the rape scene aside, like 
you know how I feel about that. Obviously, I don't want to read things or watch things where there are rape scenes. But in this context, like I understood why it was in there and I understood why it mattered to the story. And it wasn't needlessly graphic. It wasn't any of that. And because it was told from the perspective of this girl, like it wasn't gratuitous. Like I under, like it made sense for it to be in the book. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was good. And this, like the books that go on after this, like they get their revenge, Julie, let me just be clear. These <laughs> children get their revenge and it's, but they, they continue to have trauma. So read it. Everybody should read it. It's great. It's really great. And if you can get a copy of it with like the little window, like that would be super cool too. Cause they're like collectibles. They're really neat. Um, but I'm going to read you just a real quick. Real yeah. I was like, what, what kind of possibly thing could you be? Yeah. What? Um, this is just going to kind of give you an idea of like how they feel about each other and how beautiful um, the topic of love is written about in this story. Okay. Are we ready? So I'm, I'm Kathy right now. Okay. <clears throat> That night, I felt strangely ill at ease and restless, and my thoughts kept returning to the way Chris had looked at me in the attic. I knew then that the secret uh, was I'd been searching so long to find, the secret button that switched on love, physical, sexual desire. It wasn't just the viewing of naked bodies. For many a time, I'd bathed Corey and seen Chris naked, and I never felt any particular arousal because what he and Corey had was different from what Carrie and I had. It wasn't being naked at all. It was the eyes. The secret of love was in the eyes, the way one person looked at another, the way eyes communicated and spoke when the lips never moved. Chris's eyes had said more than 10,000 words. And it wasn't just the way he touched me caressingly, tenderly. It was the way he touched when he looked as he did. And that's why the grandmother made it a rule that we shouldn't look at the other sex. Oh, to think that old witch knew the secret of love. She couldn't have ever loved, no, not her, the iron-hearted and steel-spinned. Never could her eyes have been soft. And then as I delved deeper into the subject, it was more than the eyes. It was... Uh, it was what was behind the eyes, in the brain, wanting to please you, make you happy, give you joy, and take away the loneliness of never having anyone understand as you want to be understood. Sin had nothing to do with love, real love. I turned my head and saw that Chris was awake too, curled up on his side, staring over at me. He smiled the sweetest smile, and I could have cried for him, for me. So, like, what a lot to unpack for these poor little children. Like, <laughs> it's a lot, and it's being told... From her perspective as an adult, I should say. So she's she's reflecting on this now as an adult. Um, and it's it's so beautifully written. Like, I want to throw up. It's so well written. <laughs> Listen, get, do yourselves a favor. If you haven't read fucking Flowers in the Attic, get it from your library. You can get it online, like an EPUB for free or whatever. But it's, it's really good. And I think it's okay to let your children read it. <laughs> Just, you know, be better than their mom. That's all I got to say. If you could be better than... Um, Corrine Foxworth, you're doing an okay job. Don't you're lock your kids it. up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Julie, read me what you got. Read me what well, you got. Well, I mean, we're going from you saying, as a mother, saying, you should, you know, you should let your kids read this. And now me, me telling people not to read <laughs> just like ice cream. So I said the dialogue wasn't terrible in the book and I meant it, except for everything that comes out of Kyle's mouth, which as an okay. educator, I think is actually quite problematic because it's making it seem like you can spot the grease balls from a mile away. But I'm going to now read you why this book is called Just Like Ice Cream. Oh, no. Okay. Are you ready? I don't think so, but I'm going to I'm going to listen anyway. 
So they're at their favorite ice cream spot because Julie loves ice cream. Kyle watched me eat my cone and he smiled. You love ice cream, don't you, Julie? It's the best, I agreed. What if you never had any ice cream until you were 25? Say your parents protected you and felt it wasn't good for you. Say you finally had some and found out you loved it like you do now. Wouldn't you be disappointed that you hadn't started enjoying it sooner in life? Why, of course, Kyle, I answered a little confused. Well, my little sweet babe, I want you to try something just as good as ice cream, something everyone regrets they didn't start enjoying sooner. Are you game? Sure, Kyle. What is it? Come with me and I'll show you. A weird silence held us until we walked around the corner and he began to climb the steps to his house. I held back, feeling strange. Coming? His eyes were pleading as his eyebrows raised with the question. I don't get it, Kyle. Just come on, he said, grabbing my hand and taking me up with him. We laughed as I tried to guess what this new experience could be. If it's caviar, you can forget it. I don't care if it is a delicacy. I'm not eating any fish eggs. It's not caviar, you nut. If it's beer, you're too late. I had my first and last experience when I was 14. It makes me sick. Kyle just laughed. Hey, Kyle, I said as the door opened into a quiet house. Where's your mom? She's always here. She and dad went to the city for the week. He had business. She had a wedding shower to attend. Oh, who's getting married? Not important. His answer was curt as he pushed the door closed with his foot. Now his hands and arms were full of me. He had never kissed me so passionately before. I gently pushed him away. Okay, so where's my new experience? He hesitated slightly. Well, sweet babe, it's me. <sighs> what do you mean, you? I asked teasingly, hoping he didn't mean what I thought he did. He tilted his head to one side, gathered me back into his arms and said, all of me. But Kyle, I protested weakly. Remember, it's just like ice cream. <laughs> oh my god okay can i just okay this reminded me so much of when i lost my virginity that i have to share this story please do what a wonderful note to end on yeah i have to i have to do this okay so um i lost my virginity very early i think it was like 13 or 14 to a young man <laughs> who um had a, a rooster in his basement and his room was in the basement and I lost it on a waterbed. And later the guy was like, oh, I think the condom broke. So like if you get pregnant, like just handle it. Um, I did not get pregnant, um, but I watched Blade for the first time right before um, that <laughs> happened. And I'll never forget how great that movie was. So <laughs> also also the, wor the worst part or maybe the best part of this memory is that this young man had a Okay. Do you know the band Godsmacked? Absolutely. <laughs> he had the sun tattooed on his back. Oh no! Yeah, he did. And um, so I lost my virginity. You had your sexual debut. Correction. You yes. Had your sexual yes. Debut. Sorry. Correction. Yes. Um, my sexual <laughs> debut after watching the movie Blade to a young with a young man. Who, who had a Godsmack tattoo, a rooster in his basement on a waterbed. <laughs> so that doesn't set like the tone. The <laughs> mid to late nineties. Like we're not talking 1982, like pretty late in life <laughs> to still have a waterbed, sir. Yeah. Well, this would have been like the early two thousands, but he also um, had those contact lenses that had like swirls in them. Oh my God, Renee. Yeah. I don't know why I thought he so hot but um yeah jesus Christ. listen 
Listen, he also worked on a he worked on a mushroom farm. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I well, don't I don't it, even remember what his name was. Oh, hey, I love yeah. it. I love that you don't remember his name so so much. If you were listening to this, please reach out. Um, if you would like to hear my sexual debut, I encourage you to buy my memoir. <laughs> oh, Rizalice yeah. Futile: The Life and Death yeah. of the Life of Julius Alone. Um, there's no waterbed and it's actually quite sweet. And I do remember his name, unfortunately. Um, I'm so glad we took this journey together. Love a YA. I also deeply respect many of the adult women in my life who still read YA because there is a lot of really, really good YA, but I'll tell you right now, just like ice cream, Billy Hall Johnson is not it. But I'm (laughs) grateful we took this journey together. We're going to let folks know that we're going to take a few weeks off just to have a bit of a summer break, but we will Mm -hmm. be back very soon. So follow us on Instagram and Twitter to get an update on when a new episode drops and to see the incredible cover of our books. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I'm sorry we're going to be away for a bit, but I'm I'm looking forward to that break and we're going to still talk Julie, so it's fine. Yeah, and it's like fine, right? Like I'm not going to cry about it. It's fine. It's fine. Maybe <laughs> we can like enjoy some ice cream in the meantime and Sure. Uh, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Which yeah. by the way, also, like what a missed opportunity to make a fellatio reference. Like how yeah. you know what I mean? You're going to talk about sex and you're going to say it's just like ice cream and you're not going to make some like licking a cone reference of some sort. Like, yeah. Right. Like we've seen Jawbreaker where she's eating the pop school. Like we've seen. I actually it, but... haven't seen that movie, but. Um, okay. One, I get the fuck on that because that movie is yeah. an institution as far as I'm concerned. But I remember there's this like iconic scene where like this guy, um, she basically like gives him a popsicle and says like, due to the popsicle, what you want me to do to you? Um, But like, Yeah just like ice cream missed opportunity for fellatio but definitely didn't miss the chance to shove jesus down your goddamn gauntlet so there's that yeah um i just want to say like i i got pregnant really young and i had a very similar experience to this book not religious though but the only um the only example i had of of teenage moms when i was that do you want to guess i know you know no who's like who's a prolific canadian teenage mom oh my god on um Grassy, yeah, a spike. That was yes. the only time. Spike the on only, the grassy. Only example I had, but you know what? She did it. Yeah, she fucking did it, and I fucking did it, and yes, yeah, yeah. You did it, and she did it, and yeah, yeah. I totally, yeah. <laughs> I could totally see how not having any images of that or like any representation, and then yeah, shortly after, like kind of the generation after us. The only thing they had was like MTV's Teen Mom. Oh my god! And there's a there's a new like it's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing like it's awful. It's so awful. So like, this is actually a call. This is a great note for us to end on as two feminist activists. This is a call to action for people to create some really good YA, some good representation of Teen Moms, the reality of the struggle without shame. That's what we need to see in this world. So that's our call to action here on Ravage Love. Someone write that. Someone please do. write that, please. Please so. do. Not in a romance context, though, please. I can't do children. No. I can't even watch like teen movies anymore. No. So I don't want I don't want to watch those sweet babies banging it out. But no, not okay. Are. No, no, no. But just like representation, if you're making a movie, have a character, you know, do any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, please do. That'd be super yeah. duper. Now, you know, I, I kind of don't want to let you go because it, it's gonna be a while, but it's time. 
Yep. It's time that we let go. And um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna need you to either sing us out Ravage Love Style or Degrassi Junior High Style. So it's up to you. <laughs> oh, I don't know that I could pull off Degrassi, but you know I could pull off Ravage Love Style to the cows come home. So oh yes, okay, let's do it. Ravage Love, Ravage Love. Degrassi Jr. Hi. Okay, I love you. Have a good few weeks off. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS the number two J show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Ravage Love.